Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? Amy, it's uh, been, I would say, the most eventful week that we've had outside of an SBC annual meeting week since we started doing this podcast. Is that fair? I I think so. There I were a couple so. of weeks it, back in about May, June 2018 that were a little wild, but right, I think this week surpassed them. This It has most definitely been a week for SBC News, but also just for us and, and the work that we do. I'm exhausted. I don't know about you. Well, yeah, it, it's been a been a long week. I mean, we've yeah. been in meetings all week, it seems. Been on the phone all week, it right. seems. So Yes. But here we are. It's Friday, and I'm in North Carolina with snow. So oh. that was kind of a nice, a nice treat at so the end unfair. of the week. It's a little low key, and uh, we're not rec- we're recording this pretty late on a Friday. But let me tell you, I'm just happy that we actually made it to get to record at all because yes. this is yeah, this has been nuts. Yeah, and we we had a bunch of snow here yesterday, and none of it stuck. Not a single thing. It was rainy snow, like that wet snow that just evaporates or not evaporates but just turns to the water whenever it lands i mean it was gorgeous coming down but nothing stuck at all well it stuck here and that was kind of a nice treat i got home late wednesday night and yesterday it started snowing so yeah so it's that's good thing that's you didn't been listen my to highlight me and come back on thursday like i had originally suggested i know right i might have got i might have gotten stuck so i'm here and it's very beautiful All right. Well, that's good. Well, folks, if you listen to this podcast, it's more than likely that you already know what happened this week. So we're going to run through the actions that took place at the executive committee, the the big pieces that were passed. There were three or four big pieces of news that were passed, but there were also a couple of things that kind of got drowned out by those. And we want to start with that. Uh, Two big pieces of news, one from the North American Mission Board and IMB, and then another from Executive Committee President and CEO Ronnie Floyd. And that was the launch of Vision 2025 on Monday night. A lot of attention after the EC meeting has sort of focused on the actions that came out of Tuesday, but Monday night was a was a really exciting it was a really exciting session between the president's address, J.D. Greer, and then when Ronnie Floyd got up there and laid out Vision twenty twenty five. There was excitement in the room. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it, it was a great night, and uh, we're going to have that video of that Vision twenty twenty five presentation next week. We've got uh, we'll probably take the audio from that as well. And maybe even drop that in a special episode next week. For those of you who might have missed that, we'll put that in a in a podcast episode on like Tuesday of next week, and yeah. take that audio and drop that and put that in the feed so it'll it'll show up in your phones. Uh, but but just an incredible thing. So Amy, g- tell us what is Vision Twenty Twenty Five. Okay, so Vision Twenty Twenty Five is a new five year initiative that works with multiple entities to reach every person with the gospel in every town, every city, every state, and every nation. And so. This is something that several entity leaders have come together and sort of settled on, agreed on, they're excited about, and then it was presented to the executive committee, and they're actually taking it to the messengers in Orlando because the messengers then get kind of a chance to get behind it, and it is five major strategic actions for the SBC for the next five years. The first one is to increase the total number of full-time fully funded missionaries by a net gain of 500, giving the SBC 4,200 full-time, fully funded missionaries through the International Mission Board. That's the first one. Uh Second one is to add 6,000 new churches to the Southern Baptist family, 
giving the SBC more than 50,000 churches. And so this would come through church planting, through new, through churches coming into the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, lots of different ways, but to increase by 6,000. Yes, and somebody may ask, hey, I thought we had 47,000 already. 6,000 would give us way more than 50, but we usually lose about five to 600 churches a year. So over a right. five-year span, you'd lose about 3,000 because churches close, they merge, different things like that. Right. So this would push us back up over 50,000. 50, right. So that, that's right. why. So whenever you see the 47 and 6 and you go, wait, wait a minute, there's 6,000 new churches, which would net us about 3,000 churches. Right. So then number three is increase the total number of workers in the field through a new emphasis on calling out the called and then preparing those who are called out by the Lord. So in some ways, this actually refers back to the other two when you're talking about increasing more missionaries, when you're talking about adding new churches and a lot of that being through church planting, it's really talking about have a new emphasis on calling out the called, getting folks in. And that, that could be through GoTo, through uh, GenSend, that is often done through people enrolling in our seminaries, things like that. But having churches, pastors, leaders focus on calling people out to come into uh, the, to, to come to the ministry. Um, number four is turn around the ongoing decline in the SBC in reaching, baptizing, and discipling 12 to 17-year-olds in the prime of their teenage years. And there was a, some data that was given as well as some graphs and charts that were shown to really demonstrate how that has particularly declined that age group. And uh, so this would be a, a major evangelism push targeting the uh, teenage demographic. The fifth major strategic action would be to increase SBC-wide annual giving in successive years to reach and surpass $500 million given through the cooperative program. And so that's $500 million in totality for the yeah. cooperative program, beginning with what is given to the states and then you know what is passed on so that's uh that that's yeah. it right so now that's a, that's just a so lot. people know right now that number is 463 million and change so you know, we talk about whenever we you know every first of the month what time is it cp we talk about that and we're always around that 200 million dollar on the national side but the overall cp that goes to the states and the national side 463 million and change. So that's the number that we're trying to get to 500. But hey, you know, if the national number got to 500 too, Amy, I think we'd be okay oh, with that. Oh, sure. Too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. But we're talking total. And so we'd be a looking lot of like these... a billion dollars through the right, CP, which right. would be awesome, by the way. Yeah. And a lot of these work together. I mean, oh, you, yes. you know, because you, yeah, you... they drive the others and they, the, we need more churches. Well, we need more church plants. Well, we need more church funding for church plants. Well, where does that come from? CP. Right. We need more missionaries. We need more funding for that. We need more CP. We need more Lottie. Those kind of things. So right. a lot of this kind of triggers along. And hey, if we're going to call more people into seminary, well, the seminaries need more CP funding. And guess where does that come from? CP. CP right. is the financial fuel that drives all this, really. Yes. Yes. So it all works together. And in some sense, it was, you know... In the job, in the role of the executive committee to promote the cooperative program, it was recognizing we don't just talk about the dollars; we talk about what do we want to do with them, and that was where the leaders of our entities kind of came together, thinking through what those things are. 
Well, that's Vision 2025. The other big announcement uh, that has kind of gotten drowned out a little bit in the the wave of all the other news was the combination of Send Relief and Baptist Global Response. I say combination. It's really just a partnership, a partnership between the North American Mission Board and IMB as it relates to Send Relief and Baptist Global Response to really kind of come under that one umbrella of Send Relief to be headed by a new president who uh, I think that announcement is scheduled to come in two weeks. I, I think they said March the 3rd, Amy, or somewhere around that. I believe so. That they're going to announce that new president. So in two weeks, we should have that information for you. But uh, that president will report to the presidents of the North American Mission Board and NAM, and he will have a vice president underneath him on each side. That will be one for North American sin relief response and global sin relief response. So yeah. that's kind of the, think of it like as an X or a bow tie kind of thing. I think Kevin Ezell explained it to me. We were talking about this the other day, explained it to me as a bow tie where the, the top and the bottom are both you know, NAM and IMB respectively, and the knot in the middle is that president. Okay. So and you like that there, visual? I like that. Uh, that's, I thought that was that's really, really cool. And we there had already been sort of an announcement about a spokesperson yes. for Send Relief. Yeah, we talked about that last is, week. That was Mark right, Richt. Right, which is Mark Richt. So, yeah. but, there, but there will be a leader that is being announced soon to sort of lead the efforts, and then we have a spokesperson, Mark Richt. So there's, there's a lot of great things ahead with Send Relief. Yes, it is. Okay, so now to the other big news of the week. We start with the first ever report, Amy. From the Standing Credentials Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, they recommended the disfellowship of Ranchland Heights Baptist Church in Midland, Texas, because of its employment of a lifetime registered sex offender as pastor. The complete text of uh, that recommendation is at the bottom of the article at Baptist Press. But Philip Rutledge, who was convicted in 2013 of aggravated sexual assault charges against two girls aged 11 and 12, respectively, has been the pastor at Ranchland Heights since 2016. They were submitted to the Credentials Committee, and the Credentials Committee recommended that they be disfellowshipped from the Southern Baptist Convention. Yes, and that recommendation was very short, which it would be par for the course on, on any of these, I would assume, that the Credentials Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention recommend to the SBC Executive Committee that Ranchland Heights Baptist Church in Midland, Texas, no longer be considered in friendly cooperation with the convention as outlined in SBC Constitution Article 3. So the actual formal official recommendation is very brief uh, like that, but uh, that was w- was big because, like you said, this standing committee got created last year by the messengers, and so this was their first report. Um, if just as a reminder, it's a nine-member committee. It includes the chair of the executive committee, the registration secretary, who is elected by the messengers, and then three committee members that are nominated by the executive committee and four committee members that are nominated by the committee on nominations. So kind of a formula for putting the those people together for this standing committee. So they're not a committee of the executive committee. They're not like a subcommittee. They are no. their own standing committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, but then they come and bring this report to the executive committee. And then the executive committee actually performs the action. They voted yes. to disfellowship. Yes. So Stacy Bramlett is the current chair of the credentials committee and she made the report. She also talked a little bit about their process and how they really had to work to kind of invent the wheel, you know, over the first several months yeah. to lay out what their processes would be and 
now this is the first sort of result of those yes. processes. So we didn't see a lot of churches being recommended. We didn't see a very long report, but this committee has been working diligently over the past few months. We've, we've covered each step of the way uh, for right. them. So it's possible that we will have a report from the credentials committee. Uh, they, they report only at executive committee meetings. We will look to June for the potential of a next report from them. On to the next item of major business from the executive committee meeting, a motion to create a task force, a study task force, to review the past and present activities of the ERLC uh, past. That task force was uh, created. It hasn't been named yet, but it has been authorized by the executive committee. So from the motion, it says, whereas ongoing concerns have been expressed both publicly and privately to various members of the executive committee and other Southern Baptists regarding how the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission's actions in relation to its ministry statements are affecting the convention and its relationship with local churches, local associations, and state conventions, we, who would be the executive committee, recommend that a task force be created consisting of the now-serving executive committee chair and six executive committee members appointed by the executive committee chair and that the task force review the past and present activities of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission in the fulfillment of its convention-approved ministry assignments, and that the task force assess whether the actions of the commission and its leadership are affecting cooperative program giving or the further advancement of the cooperative program, and that the task force report back to the executive committee at or before its September 2020 meeting. So that's what was passed on Tuesday. And then there was a lot of public discussion that that happened after when this was released. And the ERLC board released a response to this action on Thursday. And, and in that open letter to the executive committee, the ERLC trustee officers called the task force, which was formed by the EC earlier in the week, quote, unwarranted, divisive, and disrespectful, end quote. The letter said that we, that's the ERLC board of trustees, find the action of the executive committee disappointing, unnecessary, and harmful to our cooperative work in the SBC, and that at a time where a unified voice is needed for our cooperative gospel work, the executive committee is sowing needless division, treating trustees with disrespect, and spreading suspicion with this unnecessary task force. The full statement is over at Baptist Press, and uh, we've got the full statement from the ERLC as well. There was a response from the executive committee, Amy, that was published on Friday morning. So why don't you uh, tell us about that? Right. So that came from the executive committee officers, and they responded by saying, we respect the right of the ERLC trustees and Chairman Prince, that's uh, Chairman David Prince of the ERLC board, to respond to the SBC Executive Committee's formation of a study task force. It was never our intention to communicate disrespect or to seek to divide. This is not an attempt to remove Dr. Moore or to direct his staff. We believe in the trustee system and understand clearly that Dr. Moore's presidency and the work of his team are matters for the ERLC Board of Trustees. The executive committee is assigned to present and recommend the SBC cooperative program allocation budget to the convention annually for consideration, and we are also assigned to promote the entire cooperative program. When we continue to hear a growing number of reports that churches are either planning to decrease or withhold cooperative program gifts and are given specific reasons that relate to a Southern Baptist entity, we have a responsibility that we are granted under the bylaws of the SBC to consider those reports. This action passed unanimously among the officers, unanimously in subcommittee, and by an overwhelming majority in plenary. We want to find clarity in where the facts lead us, and we hope to have the opportunity to engage with the ERLC Board of Trustees in this process. So that is where it sits now. 
So that response is over at Baptist Press. We'll link to the full response from the ERLC. It's a quite a lengthy letter uh, that is over their website. So we'll link to that here from the podcast show notes. So if you want to read those in full, those are at sbcthisweek.com. All right, Amy. So that's two of the big three. The third one was the pastor's conference. There's been a lot swirling around the pastor's conference for about the last week and a half, two weeks. And we, we covered right. the, the program last week, talked about who was on the program. There was still some discussion, still some concern from SBC uh, members and leaders about this. So a lot happened this week as it relates to the pastor's conference. So we'll try to walk this chronologically. Right. On Monday, in response to a lot of the concerns and that quote-unquote cooperative program funds would be used to pay for part of the conference, offset some of the cost. First Baptist Orlando pastor and pastor's conference president David Youth put out a release saying that the First Baptist Orlando had decided to pay all the pastor's conference costs. So they were going to cover all the costs. Okay. And then on Tuesday, the executive committee basically said, we appreciate that. However, the cost is not the issue. It's the program because they responded with a motion that said, due to our belief that multiple aspects of its proposed program as of February 18, 2020, are sufficiently beyond the parameters of the faith and practice of Southern Baptists in accordance with the Baptist faith and message, that the convention hall be made available to the pastor's conference with amendments to the proposed program by February 24, 2020. So they basically said, you have until Monday to make amendments to the program and then the convention hall will be made available to you as normal. Well, the pastor's conference president, David Youth, came back and asked for an extension and a time of extended fasting and prayer, 40 days of fasting and prayer, and said that he'd be glad to do that and give a response on March 30th. And that extension was granted by the executive committee. Yes, and Chairman Mike Stone sent EC members a letter on Thursday and shared, you know, kind of explained what was happening. And one part said, Yesterday, Dr. Youth 2020 SBC PC president shared with us that he wishes to call his congregation to a period of 40 days of prayer and fasting, that the Lord would give him guidance as their pastor. Therefore, he could not in good conscience provide an answer by the stated deadline of February 24th. The officers recognized the need of Dr. Youth to shepherd the wonderful people of First Baptist Church of Orlando through this very public matter. In the spirit of cooperation, we are agreed that the extension of the deadline to March 30 is not only wise, but is also within the spirit and scope of the executive committee's decision on Tuesday. So that is where that situation yeah. sits. And, and I would encourage not just those at First Baptist Orlando or the EC, we should all take this 40 days and pray and fast with Dr. Youth in, in some ways. I mean, that's that's something he's asking for for prayer and fasting and this 40-day season at his church. I think it'd be great if people around the SBC did that as well uh, to support him during this time uh, as he's making these decisions regarding the, the lineup at the pastor's conference. So that's kind of where that is. And we'll, we'll know, I guess, by the end of March what we're going to do moving forward with respect to the pastor's conference. I would just like to say at the end of all of this, that this was my first executive committee meeting on staff. It's all your fault. But I don't think, (laughs) I don't think it was me. You don't think it was, but I don't think it was either. It's kind of a perfect storm of just a lot of things going on. So a lot of things going on. Yeah. A big one. I, I would say that this is, I I said this, I think, on Wednesday or Thursday when we were kind of done. I think it was Wednesday when we were debriefing that this was probably one of the most consequential EC meetings that we've ever seen in our eight, 10 years being around this SBC life. And even you, even further back, because, you know, I'm I'm 
compared to you, I'm kind of a newbie to this with just 10 years or so. You've been involved in these kind of things for about 20 years, but we saw some really consequential stuff. And you know what? It's probably not the big things that we're, we've talked about here. It's probably some of the other things that got that got done that are going to be of more consequence and greater consequence moving forward. Yes. Now, I have to say on a personal note, I did enjoy working with the team. It was great to to be with uh, the communications crew there at the executive committee. I had a lot of fun. And I actually have to tell you one thing that I enjoyed this time that was different from any other executive committee meeting. The food? Well, the food was good, but I, I mean, I've been there before when they have the, the sugar the salad, salad with salad broccoli. Things. Yes, there is. <laughs> there is a broccoli salad that gets served at lunch. It's a sugar salad have, with broccoli, Amy. That's right. It's a sugar salad with broccoli. I'm convinced they put two cups of sugar in that. But sometimes at this meeting, there are there's lags in uh, the schedule, or maybe you're in one committee meeting, but other ones are going on. You go out in the hall, and I, I'm sometimes kind of trying to figure out exactly where to go. I really enjoyed being able to just get on the elevator and go to my office. I liked that part. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Right. It was it was it was kind of nice to just know here's my role this is what what I'm doing and it was great to see friends and and catch up you know we've we've just got friends all over the country and they a lot of them come to town for this and so I enjoyed getting to see them. Yes. All right, one friend that we did see at the executive committee came over with Nam. We'll see him with a different group the next time we meet down in Orlando and that's Clark Logan. Big announcement. Yeah. Good friend of the pod. Clark Logan was named Southwestern's vice president for business administration this week. Yes. So Clark Logan, he's kind of like us. I mean, he's been at a lot of different SBC entities. I think this is number five. This is number five. EC, Lifeway, NAM, Southwestern. This is number five. That's correct. He's working his way through them all. He's got one for the thumb now. Yes, so he's going to be Vice President for Business Administration at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. They decided that during a February 19th meeting of their executive committee, and he will begin in the position immediately. So currently, he um, has been serving at NAM. Uh, most recently as his chief research officer. But as you said, he had seven years at Southern Seminary, two years with the executive committee, one year working for Lifeway Christian Resources, and then now at NAM. Um, so this is this is going to be a great addition to the Southwestern family. Here's a bit of trivia. Right. I think of all the people in sort of denominational service, Clark is the one I have known the longest. Really? Um, yes, because... When Clark came to Southern Seminary as a student, he and Keith were ambassadors for the admissions office together. And I remember Keith calling me and saying, there's this family that invited me over for dinner tonight. And he told me all about it and told me about their boys who were like two and four at the time and and playing a beanbag toss game with them and things like that. And it was Clark and Helen. And so then when I used to go visit while we were engaged, we would go over and have dinner at their apartment or hang out with them. And they came to our wedding. Oh, so there we go. Were they the yeah, only like so, current Southern Baptist dignitaries that were at your wedding? Uh, Maybe. It, that's very possible. Now we had, there were some other folks in the I wonder the how SBC Clark that, likes Clark and Helen like being called Southern Baptist dignitaries. I, I don't know. I don't know. There now uh, there was one person at our wedding is uh, on staff at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington D.C. Mark Dever came D- to your wedding. 
No, Deepak Raju, <laughs> and then uh, Brian Cribb, who's on faculty at Anderson University in South Carolina. Oh. Um, but in terms of you know the the, the denominational employees uh, or things, I, I would say Clark maybe the maybe the only one. Wow. So there were none at mine. Yeah. By the way, just for okay, you know, that's good. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. But, but anyway, we we are excited. This is a good move for for Southwestern and for Clark, but just personally very excited for him. All right. Some other news from around the SBC last week. A new grassroots Southern Baptist group was formed, the Conservative Baptist Network. That launched kind of after we recorded last week. I know we recorded late, uh, but we didn't get that in last week's episode. So that story of the launch of the Conservative Baptist Network is online at Baptist Press. If you haven't heard about that, you can go over there and read about that. Brad Jerkovich, who many know from uh, his nomination speech of Ken Hemphill a couple of years ago, he did that. And also he was uh, on the, the Committee on Order of Business. Is that correct, Amy? That year? Yes, had well. been for a, for a couple of years, served on the Committee on Order of Business. Three-year term, and then, I Right. And then I think maybe served on the Resolutions Committee several years back okay. as well. So he served in a lot of different ways. I was trying to think of service that people would know him from. So, right. Yeah. Okay. So he served in, in some different capacities. Yes. So uh, he has uh, been the spokesperson, been kind of named or placed as the spokesperson for the Conservative Baptist Network. They they state in the story that they will be launching uh, an event, like a, a big launch event on June 8th prior to the annual meeting in Orlando, Florida. So I'm sure we'll have more information on that later in the year whenever we get to our preview episode of the annual meeting. And then finally, Amy, we have another nomination announcement or a candidacy announcement, and that's for the Pastors Conference Presidency, and that is Garrett Kell of Delray Baptist Church just outside of D.C. there in Alexandria, Virginia. So Dave Russell, pastor of Oakhurst Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, has announced that he intends to nominate Garrett Kell to be president of the 2021 Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference. And uh, Dave Russell said that Garrett Kell's experience in multiple church settings has prepared him to lead the conference. So he said Garrett knows the challenges of church planting. He also has led a fruitful effort in church revitalization, um, said it, it helps him to identify with the challenges that many pastors in the SBC are facing and so thinks he will will lead a conference that provides pastors with the opportunity to sit and be encouraged from God's word. So Garrett Kell is one that I, I believe has come to the SBC se- several years. He always participates in in business, very engaged, and so that means we will have a we'll have a race. We got at least two candidates. Yes. So he and Matt Hensley are the ones who are nominated right now for that. Funny uh, little note here. Related to this is kind of the small world of the SBC, the website for Dave Russell's church. I I built the original version of that and their logo and everything about. Did you really? Five or six years ago, yeah. Wow, was Dave Russell the pastor yeah. then? Well, or? yeah, it was a relaunch, a re, kind of a replant, yeah. and hence the name OakhurstRebirth.org of a, of a church there in Charlotte, and I helped him out five or six years ago. So it was kind of neat okay. to see that name pop up again. I was like, oh, I know that name. That's very cool, because so, you used to do that quite a bit, didn't yes, you? Yes, I did. Yeah. So not anymore. Yeah. Don't have time for that anymore. Right. So. No no website building. No. But. Well, not for anybody else. I'd build them for the EC now. So those kind right. of things. So Yeah. All right. Well, that's the news for the week, and um, it was a lot of it. 
and a lot going on still. So uh, we'll keep you updated on all these stories as they progress, probably into next week. We'll have all that on next week's episode, obviously. But first, my favorite part of the week, this week in SBC history, Amy, blow our minds. All right. So we're going to go back to 1969. And we just had an executive committee meeting this week. Well, so did they in 1969. This was very interesting the big story coming out of that, it just kind of demonstrates where we were in uh, SBC history and in the the history of the U.S. They came out with a very strong statement that they were opposed to the possible appointment of an official government representative to the Vatican. So that's what was being discussed at the time in 1969. Now remember, uh, the president at that time would have been Richard Nixon. Okay. And they were very concerned. So this is when it was beginning to get kind of floated, the idea. Now, we do have an ambassador to the yes. Vatican now. That's we know Callista her too. G- Yeah, it's Callista Gingrich. Yeah. But, um, well, we don't well, know. I don't, her, but I don't we, know her we personally. Know, we know who it is. But we know who it's she is. It's a name is. that's well yes. known. Yes. Yes, Callista Gingrich. But in 1969, that was a huge concern for the Southern Baptist Convention. And so the executive committee, which was made up of only 58 members at the time, they adopted a strongly worded statement unanimously to send to the President of the United States. They said the overwhelming majority of 11 million church members affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention would not favor such an, such an official representation to any religious body that the appointment of a special representative to the Vatican would, in our opinion, seriously erode civic and religious goodwill in this country. Perhaps more importantly, it would be, we believe, an unfortunate step backwards in American political theory and practice and in the separate and proper functioning of church and state. We urge that you do not assign to any church either the roles or the functions of government. So the idea was not, they said it was not motivated by anything sort of anti-Catholic, but it was the fact that the Vatican was, yes, it, it was sort of establishing as its own government, but it was also a religious state, a religious body. And so they felt like it sort of infringed upon the separation of church and state. So hmm. I find it very interesting. And uh, I have, have the story, which we'll drop in the show notes, because uh, it's, it's pretty lengthy. And they asked the staff of the Baptist Joint Committee on Public Affairs in Washington to give it to President Nixon. So if you, if you look in the issue, there's a story on it, and then the statement at the bottom of it as well. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting. It's always cool to go back and look at previous executive committee meetings or annual meetings when it's the week mm-hmm. of that time. And uh, this was what they were talking about this week in SBC history. Yeah. And, and I had one of the uh, the notes a couple of days ago in our daily email, the SBC morning briefing. You can sign up for that, sbcmorningbriefing.com, about the 1992 February meeting of the executive committee where Morris Chapman, was elected as the executive committee president. Yes. So that was 28 years ago this week. And and cool thing was, I mean, he was at the meeting on Monday night. And, he uh, was. They, they recognized he got him. recognized. Yeah. Yes. That was kind of cool. So I still have not met him in person. We've talked on the phone. We've traded emails. I have not yet met him in person. I did not, did not get a chance because of everything that was going on. Didn't get a chance to talk to him on Monday night when he was there. So even though his son works for us. So that's... That's that's the right. wild thing. So maybe he'll come Chris by one Chapman, day and I'll be able to cool. meet him. 
Yes. Yeah. Meet him in person. I, I feel like I have this vague memory that I met him once, but I can't remember when or where that I actually met him. That is the definition of a vague memory, Amy. Right. So maybe I just need to meet him again. That's I know. Maybe I just need to meet him again. Yes. Yes. So maybe he'll come by sometime. It'd be nice to sit down and, and I I bet he's got some stories, Amy. Oh, I I would imagine. All the way going back to when he was president of, when he was president of the SBC. That's right. So I would, if I got to meet with him, I would come with a list of questions. (laughs) Tell me about this story. Tell me about this. Well, maybe we should set that up. Next time you're in town, we can talk to Chris and ask him to, to get his dad to come by and... And sit Have down lunch with us. I'd be fantastic. I would us. love it. I would love yes, it. We should, for, we should do that. For story time. We'll make yeah. that happen. We'll make that happen. All right. All right. That sounds good. All right. That brings us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? Mine is an article from Baptist Press about another action that the executive committee took that hasn't really been talked about a lot. It should have and that. Yes. And that was to add an annual George Lyle Day to the SBC calendar of events. Mm-hmm. So they approved that the first Sunday in February would be the annual George Lyle Church Planting Evangelism and Missions Day, and the International Mission Board will be a resource and supporter of that annual observance, which will begin next year in 2021. This came from a motion at the 2019 SBC Annual Meeting by Robert Anderson, Senior Pastor of Colonial Baptist Church in Randallstown, Maryland, and he said that Recognizing George Lyle is very compelling historically because it corrects the popular notion that Adoniram Judson or William Carey were the first international missionaries, that he preceded both of them to the foreign field to preach the gospel, help the hurting, and start new churches. And so it really kind of elevates that story so that Southern Baptists can know a little bit more about him. And there's a story, the story from Diana Chandler kind of gives a lot more detail about it, has a video about the life and legacy of George Lyle, also mentions some things that entities have already done, that there was a resolution honoring him at the 2012 annual meeting in New Orleans. Uh, That's Southeastern Seminary has an endowed directorship named after him, as well as one of the houses in their house system um, at the college at Southeastern is named after George Lyle. And the ETS paper by Jason Dusing that was sort of about George Lyle and talks about him being the first Baptist missionary and first American missionary is uh, also linked in the story there as well. So it's just a cool, it's, it's a, it's a release, but it's kind of a cool, cool release has lots of links to things so that people can start learning more about George Lyle. And next February, we will be honoring him in that way. Yes, absolutely. And, and my resource of the week is another Baptist Press story. And this one's more of a feature story uh, because Amy, do you know what this weekend is the 40th anniversary of? The Lake Placid Olympics. Yes. The miracle <laughs> on ice, Amy. We beat the yes. Russians. We did. Biggest upset in hockey history or something like that until the Mighty Ducks came along in the early I 90s. should pull that movie out. I should pull the that movie The Mighty Ducks out. or Miracle? Miracle. Miracle's a fantastic movie. So, yes. yes, one of the best sports movies out there that I, I actually enjoy watching that movie. I'm, we've talked about my aversion to sports movies. Even though I'm a big sports fan, I don't like the movies. But this one's really good. My Winter Olympics movie is Cool Runnings. I love that one. Oh, okay. Bobsledding. Yeah. Yes. But keep you going. You and Dougie keep Doug. Going. I know you are tight. All right, so yes, um, keep going. Yes, so this is the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice, but it wasn't just the 40th anniversary of that. It's also the 40th anniversary of the planting of Lake Placid Baptist Church, which was started out of the Olympic outreach and everything that went on in Lake Placid, 
and they are now the church is now 40 years old and there's a great story from Tim Ellsworth and I love the title it's called The Miracle Off the Ice instead of the miracle That's on ice cool. and it talks about the Lake Placid Baptist Church and how they trace their roots back to the 1980 Olympics That's pretty cool I like that Yeah so you can check out that story over at Baptist Press as well so just a really neat feature on that church up in Lake Placid and the ministry they're doing. There's still a lot of Olympic training that goes on up in Lake Placid for uh, Winter Olympics because of the facilities that are up there. You can look at that more over at Baptist Press. Well, Amy, that's going to do it for the show this week. It's been a long week, been a lot going on, and I'm sure next week we'll bring even more. So until then, we'll see you next week. See you next week. See you next week.